Welcome to the Abodo Presents podcast. My name is Daniel Gatzel. For this podcast, we chat to Sarosh Moller to discuss intelligent, small-scale architecture. Today, we have with us Dr. Sarosh Muller to discuss intelligent, small-scale architecture. Sarosh is a practicing designer with PAC Studio. He holds a PhD in architecture while also lecturing at the University of Auckland. Welcome, Sarosh. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for joining us today. Sarosh, with PAC Studios, you design some pretty fancy architecture, but what I want to talk to you today about perhaps some of the more humble, efficient abodes that you've designed. What drove you to that segment of the market? Uh, we're excited about any project that has the potential to make someone's life better. And that means we work on all sorts of houses, businesses, community projects, research projects, all sorts of things. And really at any size or budget, there are challenges for designers. And often I find I gravitate towards the smaller projects in our office, uh, let the registered architects deal with the larger ones. And I suppose that's because I find that on those smaller projects, you have different challenges. You can't design away a problem often, um, and you have to really understand the um, systems and the products that you're working with um, in order to kind of innovate. So I, I really do enjoy that. And, and we're also really passionate about the idea that everyone deserves to live in a home that, firstly, at a technical level, providing them with a safe, dry, warm, healthy space, but also adds moments of simple joy to their lives. No matter what the project we're working on, we always try and find those moments of joy in, in them. I think that's great. I mean, today we're sort of seeing a proliferation of larger homes. Do you think that's an issue in modern day architecture? Well, I think consumption is certainly an issue. Um, and this is inextricably linked to size. And I think it's also important to note that we're living every day in this unfolding climate crisis. And the construction sector is a huge contributor of CO2. So we have to take that into account. And usually on our projects, we're actively trying to persuade clients that they should build smaller and better when they actually do have to build. And I think that's a point that not every project needs to be built. And we have to be careful about what we're um, kind of diving into there. And often, particularly when we're working with businesses and community groups, some of the work we do with them is more around this idea of spatial strategy rather than a kind of built architecture where we're trying to solve problems in a way which has the lightest footprint possible. I suppose the other side of that is that there is a kind of tendency among off-the-shelf plans to be kind of bloated, really not using the best technology that we have now. And that makes no sense to me, that the idea that you would build a 300-square-metre home that performs like it was designed a century ago, particularly when you can design a 150-square-metre home that would use all of today's technology and would deliver you something that kind of reflects where we are with material science today. So I think that it's a kind of two parallel strands there, that you want to build better and you want to build less, and you really should be approaching things looking for smarter design that can do more with less. Yeah, that sounds very logical. I mean, what are the, some, of the, some of the things that we can do or designers can do to design homes both more beautifully and more efficiently? I think that comes back to the understanding of the systems and the products that you're working with. I think you really need to come from that basis in order to be able to innovate. And in my teaching at the University of Auckland, I often use the analogy of building a hot rod as an example. So when you're building a hot rod, you need to understand every part of the factory production engine before you can strip it down and build something faster. And it really is the same when you're trying to build high-performance architecture. You need to understand how each piece goes together and what the kind of industry is around producing each piece. 
so that you can try and find those little hacks and make things that are better than they were before. So it, I think a kind of in-depth knowledge of the system is the way that we look at it and then always being open to trying to find a better way of doing it. Yeah, some of these questions are driven around this interest, the recent interest we've seen in the Pahi House, which is a beautiful little project that you've completed. It seems to have grabbed a lot of people's attention. It was on the cover of Home Magazine. It went very well on social media. Why do you think this project's garnered so much attention? Uh, it's been a really interesting project to think about, um, particularly because it has kind of been really popular. I mean, it's a really small, simple house on the Kuiper Harbour, and it's been published as far from home as Brazil and Russia. And I, I think that that really comes back to an idea of simplicity and kind of authenticity. You know, a decade ago, the public at large probably thought of simplicity and design as meaning a spotless white interior that photographed really well, but was so entirely different to their experience of life. And increasingly, we have people coming to us and asking for homes which reflect them, their way of living, their hobbies, their families, their oddball collections, their place in the world. And the idea of that simplicity has shifted from the white interior to a way of living kind of simply, a place that you can feel relaxed and connected to um, and that doesn't have any of the kind of pretense. The Parky House is all about that. It's a really simple building in a lot of ways, but in terms of its spaces and arrangement, it allows the owners to really live in a way which is perfect for their lifestyle. And I think that's something that people can really connect to. You know, it feels achievable, even with a modest budget, and that's empowering. Do you think that gives you hope? I mean, with a project like the Pahi House garnering so much attention, does that give you hope that perhaps the direction will go away from these 300-square-metre bloated houses towards perhaps a more intelligent way of living? Yeah, I think so. You know, there's more and more interest, I think, also in the first house market for having architects involved in that. And that hasn't necessarily always been the case. I think people have thought of bespoke pieces of architecture as being something that you design once in your life and likely it would be the house that you retire in. And now we're seeing more and more people coming to us and saying, we're looking at designing our first house and we want something small and efficient and we want it to be really good. And I think that that shift is really coming from the fact that they can see that it's possible and it's probably also spinning out of that tiny house movement as well that people realize that if you do things in a smaller way, you do have other options. I mean, in the first instance, it just takes away a huge amount of stress from your life if you're borrowing to complete a project. So you, if you work on it in a kind of efficient way, you're likely going to spend less and end up with a better outcome. Yeah, I mean, the challenge, and, I, and maybe I'm looking at this too simplistically, has always been hey, look, how do we build efficiently and cost-effectively while at the same time is delivering a level of customization? How do you balance that efficiency versus the design customization that people are looking for in their homes? Yeah, I think that goes back to the hot rod analogy. You still have four wheels on the car, but all of the other stuff is really up for grabs. And as long as you understand the basic systems of how to build efficiently and reduce waste um, along the way, then you can build in a lot of customization. It's really also about picking your battles within any project, where you spend your money and where you want to make things relatively basic. And I think in the past, the kind of temptation has been to spend the money on the things that they 
perhaps think of as kind of nice finishes, um, you know, the, the kind of expensive tiles. And now more and more we're seeing people saying, no, I actually want to spend my money on really good insulation and really good cladding and really good heating systems. And that, that to me is a really fundamental shift in the way that people are understanding buildings. So that, that customization really can be in the things that are not necessarily seen every day. In your lecturing work, you're obviously exposed to the next generation of, of designers. Do you see these sorts of thoughts going through their minds? What do you think motivates them? Uh, they want to see change. You can see the desire for action on climate change and societal inequality. And in in a lot of ways, I see that growing every year that I teach. Um, architects are still seen by many people as people who are obsessed with style, but perhaps lack practical or ethical judgment. And I see quite the opposite in the profession, and particularly in my students. They're constantly demanding better from those practicing, but also from themselves. And I think that they're going to be continually pushing for more and more positive change, particularly on the use of materials that are healthy, and also for this kind of idea of return to the local. The students I always remember are the rowdy ones who feel like things aren't right. And I think that that's a sign that they're going to agitate for things to be better. Yeah, and that's an interesting thought. I mean, with this local thing, and we've now we're in the post-COVID environment, do you see things changing architecturally in, in a post-COVID situation? Yeah, I think definitely there should be a greater focus on the provenance of materials. I think the fact that we've basically got our borders closed at the moment is going to be an interesting kind of wake-up call on how much of what we build with is coming from overseas. And I think there will be a return to thinking about what you can build with that's around your site. And it, we're kind of in this kind of great position in New Zealand that we have a tradition of people making really good stuff here. And so it's really trying to spark some more of that manufacturing back again. And it could have a great impact on our um, carbon emissions as well. So I, I think that return to local things will be a big part of that post-COVID life. But I think there's probably also, you know, there's going to be an impact of the economic downturn and, and that's going to put a lot of people on, under pressure. So there will be a kind of slowdown in projects. And in some ways, that will also provide some time to think about how we can do things better rather than continually charging on at um, increasing pace. So, you know, there might be some silver linings in amongst all of that. And then, of course, there'll be people who change their work habits. There'll be lots more people who decide to work from home, and that will change the way we're designing houses. But it will also change the way that we're designing cities and public transport infrastructure and things like that. So, you know, there'll be a lot of change, and I think at times that'll be painful for just about everyone. But there'll also be lots of opportunities to rethink and do better. It's certainly something we've seen during lockdown from the design community anyway, is those designers having a bit of chance to, to sit down and think about things and do some research of their own. And we've certainly seen an increase in that sort of level of interest in the Abodo products, but I'm sure that's, that's also occurred for other New Zealand manufacturers and, and potentially other uh, manufacturers around the world with perhaps more of a sustainability bent. So I think that old assumption of necessarily imported product in New Zealand is necessarily better than, than local product is hopefully going to be proven to be not necessarily the case. Yeah, I think over the last few years, people have kind of woken up to that anyway. You know, that just because it comes from overseas doesn't mean it's better. And I think 
that probably comes slightly from feeling that we're a small nation on the bottom of the world and, you know, the, there's so many more people working in bigger countries and bigger economies making this stuff. But really, I think that's our strength, that we're able to focus and you're forced to innovate from within the industry in New Zealand. You don't kind of uh, have the opportunity to step outside of the constraints. And what that does, it means that you, you find the really kind of practical ways of making change fast. I mean, I can think about the, the work that you guys have been doing with Abodo, and really that seems to me to be a good example of a really in-depth understanding of the supply and the design process and also uh, what people are looking for as an end result. And all of that can happen here rather than having to involve a kind of foreign supplier. So, Ross, what, what drives you as a designer and an educator? What, what is it that really pushes you along? I always enjoy seeing our clients using the spaces that we design for them. You know, sometimes that's really something small, you know, seeing them cook in their new kitchen sort of thing is always, um, <laughs> is always nice, even if it's a small project. But I think there's also this kind of ability to build one project on another and kind of continually getting better at what we do. And that really does drive me, that there's learning in each project. We try and collect those at the end of a project and reflect on them and see how we can bring those to be kind of even better in the next one. So that kind of continual improvement really drives me. Yeah, I mean, it's a complex industry, and I guess if you, <clears throat> the more you can learn from experience, the, um, the better you're going to get. Sarosh, how do people get a hold of you or see more of your work? How can they do that? Um, they can have a look on the uh, Pack Studio website or Instagram pages. We're always happy to have a chat, so people can flick us an email or send us a message on the gram. Great. Well, thank you for your time today, Sarosh. Some interesting thoughts, and uh, we wish you the best. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast, brought to you as part of the Abodo Presents series. 